and welcome to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. A solo episode for you guys today. And I'm going to talk about a few things, I think, but I have one particular topic in my head. What is happening at the moment? I am going to pack up all my stuff from my gaff here in Dublin today. I am moving to Australia. I am traveling to Australia next Wednesday. So today, when this is coming out, um, is when this will be released. I will be in transit. I will be on my way to Abu Dhabi first and then one stop over onto Sydney then and moving straight into my new house with my friend Alex and I'll be seeing everybody hopefully the weekend I arrive. Lots of people have reached out as well following the conversation I had with David Gray on his podcast and it will be fantastic to link up with some deadly coaches down under. I'm looking forward to that and then chatting to a few athletes as well who are willing to come on to the podcast. So I'll be keeping the podcast going for you guys and I'll be keeping everything going throughout December and January as I look to transition everything online for now, which is exciting, exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. It's nothing new, really. In terms of what we've been doing as a business, we've always been fulfilling the online coaching ever since coach ever since COVID hit. We've always had online clients and I think we run a really good online service, good onboarding process, um, good check in process. We're particularly good in terms of video feedback and having conversations with the athletes and even in those half an hour client calls going through some movement based stuff with them. And it's an adaptable and dynamic process as well. So it's catered to the athlete and look, testimonials roll in, I suppose, and we get people back to play from pain and from injury. So it works, I guess. So I'm happy with that. But what's nerve wracking about it isn't the actual work of the delivery of the programming and the delivery of the coaching. It's not having as much of a safety net in terms of the in-person coaching and the contracts with teams and working with teams and whatnot but at the same time <laughs> it's the decision that I made I suppose and I needed that bit of space and a little bit more time efficiency I guess and that's the reason that I'm going to Australia and that's the reason that I have decided to put myself first as I spoke about on other podcasts and I think the space has been uncomfortable because it's new and anything new is generally uncomfortable. So trying to fill my time has been uncomfortable, but maybe filling my time is not something that I should be doing. I should be exploring ways that I enjoy spending my time and also maybe just sitting and being okay, not doing anything, which is not something that I am generally quite good at. So hopefully being on Bondi Beach and sitting doing nothing will make it a little bit easier. It's starting to get pretty chilly here, so I am excited to get over to the sun. Um, I really do find that the dark evenings and the dark mornings and less sunlight does have a real impact on my mental health and on my energy. So last year at Christmas, I went to Bali or at New Year's and this year, obviously going to Australia, I think the sun does have a profound impact on our psychology. And it's something that obviously we're deficient in is vitamin D in Ireland and in Northern Europe. 
it benefits me and hopefully it's going to continue to benefit me down under and look as i said i do envision that i potentially could be back for the summer so i'm going to be chasing the summer rays wherever i go one of the lads last night we were out for dinner and he put it that so basically you're structuring your whole life around uh, making the best use of the gaa season and potentially that's a good way of putting it as after the GA season finishes I may in fact go back to Australia once I've come home but nothing set in stone and I'm going out open to whatever happens out there happening so I'm happy enough really and I'm excited to start that venture but there's going to be a, a number of other ventures starting as well in the process at the moment of putting together a virtual course or mentorship that I'm planning on rolling out in January so that's exciting it's something that David Gray said to me back in April May when he ran his seminar in Dublin and he was asking about business and asking about plans for the future and how everything was operating and I was saying I was working with Ballantubber online and it seemed to be going really really well so maybe I could scale that out and continue working with numerous different teams and kind of a remote head of performance role and then just check in on them regularly um, guide them through my process and mentor maybe an assistant strength and conditioning coach who's in place in that uh, club and teach the coaches my process and he argued he was like that is great but once you've taught them your process and they feel like they're concrete in terms of they have a good understanding of how to implement it are they then reliant on you or are they not reliant on you as so much and are they going to just employ the coach that you've mentored and maybe cast you aside and I said I don't know but <laughs> I'm gonna find out I guess and I don't think that that is I think that is a good point I think it's more in line with thinking in line with a scarcity mentality than it is thinking in line with an abundance mentality because I found that if you're a giver and you help as many people as you possibly can it generally does come back around to you so look it's a positive and a negative wanting to help people as much as you can and something that I've developed over the years is putting up boundaries then in regards to when that stops and when you have to look after yourself and protect your own health so that you can continue to deliver the highest standard of care and continue to help them and that's protecting yourself I guess and how you protect yourself in the scenario of working with the teams um like i was speaking about with dave is you have a contract in place so if there's a contract in place obviously anything outside of the bounds of that or anything um that doesn't align with what both parties agreed to the business of pd performance being one party and the club being the other party um is going to be in breach of contract so that's obviously not going to be the best thing. So that's the safety net that you have in that regard. But even if you do help that club and they do cast you aside, essentially maybe cast you aside isn't the best way of putting it. Um, they do part ways with you eventually. At least you know you've made significant change with that club and you've delivered the highest standard of care that you possibly can. And the coach that you were mentoring, they're going to remember how good it was for their development working with you and how kind and helpful you were in accelerating their development and their learning so to put it a long way around to explain the conversation we were having Dave said that he thought that the way I needed to go was educating coaches and training coaches on my process for 
SNC for GAA for performance for GAA and that's the way that you actually help the most people and achieve the most change because if I'm tied into a contract or working with a couple of teams how many teams can you realistically fulfill a head of performance role with and still deliver a really high standard of care I don't know, to be honest. I'm pulling a number out of my arse, but in regards to working with Ballantubber and then working in that role that was more in-person with Thomas Davis, it was a handful, but it was manageable. So I had three teams in Thomas Davis and then I had one team in Ballantubber, so that was four. I think if you made it remote and you had good systems in place, you could potentially do four to five teams as long as they didn't end up coming up against each other um, in county championships or provincial championships. But again, uh, Adrian O'Brien, I think he was working with two teams, Kilmallock and was it Blackrock? It was a Cork team anyway he was working with as well. And they ended up playing each other in provincial championships. So that was a testament to the work that he did as well. That must have been a, a difficult and a proud place to be in, but also a difficult game to watch because who do you want to win there? You don't know. Like, um, But again, I think that that could be a runner. So what I have thought is, OK, if the head of performance role with multiple teams isn't something that is scalable, something that's definitely scalable is some sort of a mentorship or virtual internship or virtual course that educates coaches on my process and my thought process around biomechanics around uh, speed development around change of direction development around conditioning around structuring uh, the calendar around all of the things that I talk about on the podcast I suppose and all of the things that I put together so I actually spoke about it with Alan when I was taking part in his mentorship and saying maybe it was something that I could do and he said man go for it like and I think it's also really useful to try to write this thing as well and put this together in terms of making my process more refined and my thought processes just more I'm being more aware of my thought processes I am interrupting the podcast to let you guys know that I have thought about it and I am going to open 10 more spots for online coaching in the PD Performance Premium Pack for December. We've been getting lots of athletes into our online coaching service. They've been having a lot of success in terms of returning to play from injury, in terms of improving their performance, putting on muscle mass, body recomposition, the works. So I think now is the time to double down on the online side of the business and continue looking to help people. So even though I was closed for November and we signed up 10 people, which was fantastic, I am saying to myself, there's no better time than the present. So if you're an athlete, maybe you should be thinking the same thing and you should reach out today to grab one of those 10 spots for December 2023 in advance of the year 2024 when you're going to be the best athlete that you have ever been in the championship and the league season. So reach out with the keyword premium if you want to nab one of those spots. And for now, back to the podcast. And I'm currently doing the mentorship with Peter Hughes as well, um, which has been fantastic. Skin in the game mentorship. Shout out to all the other guys that are on it. It's been great connecting with other coaches and diving deeper into how we think and what we think and what our heuristics are for organizing our thoughts. And that's got me thinking more about how I'd put this together. 
as well as that Dave asked me to present to DGR Interactive during the year and I was like oh I'm not going to be able to do a half an hour on return to play and a change of direction or whatever and uh return to play for a team sport athlete to speed and change a direction basically and then I put the, the content together and I was like oh my god I'm, there's no way I'm going to fit this into a half an hour and that kind of showed me that I had the content there that I was sitting on that I could put together into a very effective and useful mentorship or course and over the last year and even before that people have actually been reaching out I think I've spoke about it on the podcast before and said do you run any courses? Would you think about running a mentorship? And then I was having a conversation with Alice Lochran, shout out Alice, and she was saying, where did you learn all this stuff? Would you be willing to teach coaches this stuff or coach coaches this stuff? As we had conversations about athletes and about speed and about um, strategy for athletes in terms of how they're sprinting, not just the times that they're sprinting, and how I've looked to figure out the different archetypes of athletes and what ones are good at what and what they need in terms of their training in relation to developing them as athletes and talking about ground-based athletes and air-based athletes and athletes that have a narrow ISA and athletes that have a wide ISA and what they're better at and what they need. And yeah, so then I just said, look, I'm after completing the GA game speed blueprint, which was one task that I had to do, which was put together some sort of a process for change direction and speed development for athletes that was cost effective and was still comprehensive and useful. And the feedback from that has been good. So then I said, right, what am I going to work on? And I wrote down the headings of what the different different modules in a 10 to 12 week mentorship or course will be. And I got them easily. And I even had conversations with GAA coaches and other SNC coaches, and they added other topics to it. So what I got down on paper was module one, and that's the one that I'm pretty much finished writing, is the biomechanics of sprinting and change of direction. And it probably is useful that I was lecturing in uh, advanced biomechanics in a university or a third level institution in Ireland this time last year. And that has led to me realizing, okay, what's necessary for a strength and conditioning coach or a GAA coach to understand in order to be able to understand what I'm talking about when I then go to teach them about speed training and change of direction training and conditioning down the line and in terms of movement patterns. So that was number one, module one basic biomechanics what they need to know to bridge the gap because that's the purpose I'm trying to serve is I'm trying to bridge the gap between the SNC coach that wants to develop athletes well-rounded athletes for Gaelic games and I want to bridge the gap between the GAA coach that wants to understand performance principles and strength and conditioning principles so that they can converse with their SNC coach if they have one or if they don't have an SNC coach and they only have somebody for so long, they can look to implement the principles around load management, around structuring training, so that their performance program is better than it is now, essentially. And from the conversations I've had with both SNC coaches and GAA coaches, they think it's a great idea and they think it 
is a runner and they're all interested which is class because hopefully we can get some people into it once it's finished so module one biomechanics of sprinting and change of direction module two i have speed training and coaching i module three communicating with athletes communicating with management and other coaches number four goal setting creating culture leadership and achieving buy-in to your program module five structuring strength and conditioning inside the gym Module six, plyometrics and progressions. Module seven, structuring team sessions in season. That is pitch-based sessions. I have a podcast on that from last year as well or the year before that went very well. And that's in terms of our color coding system system for our calendar, um, our green, red, amber and yellow sessions. Modules eight, coaching change of direction, agility and game speed. So building up from change of direction to agility and then to specific scenarios for GAA. Module nine, lower limb return to play for GAA players. And then 10, I've down as testing, monitoring, assessment, load management and improving year on year. So 10 modules at the moment, it might not end up looking like that, but that's just what I have in my head. What has been useful over the last few weeks in terms of organizing the modules of biomechanics and of sprinting and change of direction, what I'm looking for, and then chatting about speed training, my coaching eye, and how I coach change direction, agility, and game speed has been the conversations with the people within the Peter Hughes Skin in the Game mentorship, because that's generally what we do talk about a lot. And then some of their athletes, some of Alice's athletes have been jumping on calls with me and chatting about their own rehab return to play process, because look, it's what I spoke about previously as well, is there is a gap that is often missed in the middle to late stage rehab or return to play, return to performance space where the physio has got the athlete to a sufficient level of conditioning and strength and movement standards that they can return back to the pitch but the snc coach is probably too far away in terms of the rehab to performance spectrum so they just kind of throw them back into sessions before reconditioning them back to speed back to change of direction back to game specific movements back to conditioning um and having that gap bridged where they have the middle to late stage of rehab and consistent and graded exposure back to max velocity back to maximal decelerations repeated decelerations and back to like tough tough sessions training to train essentially which is something that alan has obviously taught me loads about over the last year and something that i've learned a lot about from him and from speedworks in their virtual internships and from sam portland as well i suppose and yeah from daniel moore too back when i was in black rock and it it's probably why i'm get, i'm having so many calls with athletes and it seems to be the similar things cropping up on calls all of the time and that's probably why my heuristics or how I see people moving how I see their how they're set up their archetype in terms of what we spoke about of the narrow ISA and the wide ISA and the narrow being quite reactive often um, quite bouncy better at maybe um, hinging or deadlifting and finding that internal rotation and then the wide being very externally rotated really squat really 
good at producing force, maybe not as good at producing force quickly and being reactive. And that bleeds into then how I've seen those athletes sprint and move and change direction. And Alan's model and his framework that he uses in terms of, he calls them snails and banana backs. That's not something that I was familiar with before the program the mentorship program but i was familiar with the over rotation under rotation and i've spoke about it before how i thought i was seeing the right thing but i wasn't really sure until alan gave me that confidence and often the majority of times those wide isas they are better at acceleration better at change direction they stand really wide like obviously they're good at change direction because in order to change direction, you have to get your foot outside your center of mass, something I talk about on my posts and my reels all of the time. They don't have to try as hard to get their feet outside their center of mass because their feet are already there. As well as that, because they're so good at producing force, they want to be on the ground all the time, so they're more ground-based. Acceleration is a more ground-based activity than max velocity. So they're better at accelerating because they're really good at generating force and really good at muscling their way forward and driving their way forward. However, what I see from the vast majority of them in terms of when I look to organize my thoughts into their strategy is I see that a lot of them are over rotators because they want to be on the ground all the time. So they strike the ground early rather than late in terms of, or on time in terms of their limb exchange. So when they're switching. So as a result of striking the ground early all the time, they have quite a high frequency approach to acceleration as well as that. They put a lot of load on some tissues they might be more vertical in their shin angles because they're over rotating to stop their center of mass from falling over and falling into the floor and their projection potentially won't be the best nor is their reactivity so as a result of that they need to use that high frequency approach in order to get forward because if they're not projecting themselves into the air at all how am i going to go forward i'm going to have to take another step immediately so i'll take really short snappy steps and their switching might not be on time but their ability to exchange limbs rapidly is probably really good and that's probably why they're better at change in direction because they have that more backside mechanics or those more backside mechanics their pelvis might be a little bit more behind them which means they have more time to decelerate and change direction as well as their short snappy steps make it better or make them better able to change direction as well as that their center of mass is lower because they are squatter and because they're more ground based so obviously they're going to be better at changing direction and a lot of the conversations i have with those over rotators they're running into a lot of the time tendinopathies um, because now I think it is the Just Fly Performance podcast that speaks a lot about this and it's like it's a theory more than anything, but they don't run into as many muscular injuries because their muscles are quite strong, um, but tendinopathies happen quite a lot. And when I'm structuring my S&C, I give those type of athletes a lot more reactive work to, work to try to improve their timing, improve their reactivity of their tendons and their strength of their tendons um, and reduce their injury risk. And it also serves the purpose of hopefully making them faster in time. Um, 
because they're working on both strategy for striking the floor as well as their physical capacity so their hardware and their software and yeah so like a lot of time i see some calf issues with them a lot of hamstrings because obviously when you strike the ground early and your hips are behind you and you're trying to prevent yourself from falling over it's not a fantastic position to be in it's not an optimal position to be in and your hamstring is on a great deal of stretch and it might be under a lot more load or have to tolerate a lot more load because of the position that it's in making it difficult for you to project your hip over your knee rather than what occasionally happens with them when they're trying to um maybe do a split squat or a projection drill is they'll be very quad dominant and they'll pull their knee back to meet their hip and as a result of that they might go a little bit more vertical um than they will project forwards and horizontally um so i see a lot of those issues rec fem issues as well because obviously with the hips behind and if the hamstrings on big stretch you're going to have to really grind and push with your quad which i just spoke about so they can run into rec fem issues too um but obviously they, they like they often run into a lot of different issues like the, there's a couple of athletes i'm working with that have adductor issues or osteitis pubis and look they're not finding a hip lock position and it'd be difficult for an over rotator to find a hip lock position because they're just dumping their pelvis back into an anterior tilt and leaving it behind them which as i just spoke about is useful for some things like change direction but not useful for everything um so but that's not to say that those issues that they run into the under rotator and the more narrow isa doesn't run into those at all like i'm speaking to some athletes who are more narrow that are running into hamstring issues and in these particular cases so with an under rotator when they go to take off they're generally a lot of the time a more narrow isa so uh, they're more reactive more bouncy they want to be more air based so they're better at max velocity tasks than they are at acceleration and change direction which are more ground based tasks so because they're better at that and they're really bouncy and efficient they want to just make their acceleration and max velocity uh, run straight away so they just pop up straight away um so what you're teaching them to do is actually elongate maybe their acceleration and their transition phase and have a more horizontal orientation at the start and project themselves per their stride a little bit better um, and a little bit more horizontally as well um, and i think alan had a great post if you go back on his page you'll find it about the jekyll and hyde of acceleration development or speed development and it's something that i've been trialing as well and having really good uh, effectiveness with and I think they grasp it when you do it and it's a framework that I have used and talked about over the last year is what do you do with the the over rotator you train them to be more of an under rotator so you train them to get up a little bit more and get their hips up um, and as a result of getting their hips up and getting off the ground more they'll have more time and more space to switch underneath and exchange limbs and time their switch and their frequency high frequency approach which is a strength of theirs um, and as a result of that their hips will no longer be behind them there will be less horizontal force impacting or breaking force in front of them because they will no longer be striking early to be striking on time or exchanging on time and as a result of less breaking force they will accelerate faster and get a good bit faster so you train them to be more of an under rotator 
what do you do with the under rotator you train them to be more like the over rotator and i think alan had a great sentence he called it the jekyll and hyde of sprint development and i thought that was so appropriate and he was talking about how if you sprint an over rotator and you identify an over rotator first then tell them okay i want you to just completely just pop up here and be real bouncy and uh, just turn it into max velocity and then they do that and then you say okay now you know what that feels like can you find somewhere in between the two and they find a more optimal strategy or optimal position um, than their first initial strategy which was the over rotation and you could do the same thing with the under rotator just tell them to be on the ground and actually push because often they're so bouncy and their max velocities are so good that they don't stay underground long enough to actually use the ground and transmit force into it to project themselves forward enough. Um, and as a result of that, it takes them quite a while to get up to that max velocity. But when they get up to max velocity, they're really good at being off the ground um, and not having much braking force impacting on them at all. So as a result of that, they're able to maintain their access acceleration for longer and they get up to a really high speed i had a couple of athletes towards the end of the summer who came in that were like that and like the max speed they were hitting was insane like up over 10 meters per second um however then when you put it into their tau score um or you put it into a 30 meter acceleration that you're measuring i'm going to have a post out on this in the next um few weeks you were seeing that they're taking so long to accelerate like they're not getting up to speed early at all and I, like that's not going to be very advantageous for gaelic games because it's great to have a real high max speed but when you're sprinting out to the ball it's it's generally not going to be more than 15 meters now if we increase your max speed are you going to be able to tolerate those lower intensities and those um sprints where that are shorter better probably but that doesn't mean you're going to win the ball ahead of your opponent like if you're not first you're last as ricky bobby says um but to bring it back to what I was speaking about in relation to those under rotators, uh, I'm looking at them and they run into some tendinopathy sometimes because what I'm watching at the moment is they're so intent to whip from the hip and attack back. Uh, they're doing like a kicking or whipping motion. And as a result of not pushing and projecting their hips forward and punching the other leg forward uh, to make use of the cross extensor reflex, they're just kind of swinging the leg out in front when they're at their toe off they have like a very they have a negative shin angle so their uh, shin on their swing leg is thrown out in front and as a result of that they're not really making use of projection from the opposite hip and um, the opposite glute max isn't projecting as much as it, it should because they're almost using momentum to swing themselves forward and then just rebounding and bouncing off. If they're not projecting as much as they can from that glute max, then potentially, and they're swinging that uh, swing leg out in front and it has that big negative uh, shin angle and then they're whipping it back, they can kind of be clawing themselves forward using their hamstring rather than pushing themselves forward and projecting themselves forward using their glute max so i've seen that a couple of times where they're running into some hamstring issues too but i probably see in gaelic games more over rotators than i do under rotators and i think that's because of the nature of gaelic games like it's all short sharp axels d cells um 
and they haven't been coached as well they've been actually coached to stay over and stay lean and stay low for the whole thing so maybe in in a lot of cases athletes that are narrow and actually uh, should be more of an under rotator or more bouncy reactive athlete with a really good max velocity they've actually trained themselves to be an over rotator over the 10 20 years that they've been playing Gaelic games and I see that a lot but one thing I never see is a really unreactive strong athlete uh, that's an under rotator and just pops up I never see that in Gaelic games but that was what I wanted to come on and talk about are some of the things that I have been seeing and the conversations that I have been having with athletes around um, potential reasons for their pain, for the, the reason that they keep getting repetitive injuries and persistent injuries and then how we've been trying to address it. Uh, and it's obviously highly individual, but I see those cases a lot or I see commonalities between cases a lot in the conversations that I'm having and the video that I'm watching. But then I went up to uh, Dundrum South Athletic at Club two weeks ago or a week ago, and I was expecting to see all of these phenomenal athletes that had no issues whatsoever. They were completely balanced runners because they're all doing athletics and I think in team sports we have that idea of athletics that they're all perfect and nothing needs to be done and look they, they were great athletes really are phenomenal athletes um, but I still saw the patterns of over rotation and under rotation and then from conversing with their coaches when I was like I bet she is really good accelerator, but she's struggling at max velocity. And they were like, yeah, how would you know that? And then I was just looking at their strategy and then explaining to them. And they're saying, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then the oh, there was other athletes that I was like, wow, he's a real beautiful runner. And it's like, yeah, but he's he's really struggling. Like he... He, his acceleration isn't fantastic and he, he looks real nice and pretty but it's not it's just not crossing over into when he's competing he's not achieving what he needs to achieve and then I'm looking at them and although it looks real pretty and it's real up, upright and front side and the wickets look fan, fantastic they look like so efficient the ground contact times are really low they're bouncing over them it's beautiful like a young gazelle as my father would say it, like the acceleration isn't there because it's so bouncy that you're not on the ground long enough to actually project yourself forward quickly um and the projection isn't really there at all either it's just really good switching uh really reactive but no projection um and as a result of that maybe it's not transferring over to the track when it counts i suppose so having conversations with those athletes and with those coaches about where you're placing the sled are you placing the sled around the hips or around the torso are you varying it per athlete and they weren't really they were just okay today we're doing a hip harness tomorrow we're doing a, a shoulder harness and i was like well look if you see an athlete that is moving in this fashion then maybe so like a, an under rotator you're going to want to use a shoulder harness because you want them to lean you want them to be on the ground and you want them to actually stay over long enough that you can coach them to transmit force into the ground and project themselves forward whereas 
an, o- an over-rotator who's fallen into the ground, the main thing with them is their hips are behind them. So you want to put a hip harness on them to coach them to feel that constraint and feel that weight to get the hips up um, into the air and get them up quicker because they're always over-rotating. Um, they're never really getting up into max velocity mechanics. They're essentially falling over for the whole run. And I, as I said, I see that a lot. So those were some conversations. And then I went through some preparatory work that... I would generally go through with athletes in individual sessions or one-on-one sessions um, and that I give to all of my athletes that are in the online coaching service and they thought it was so useful and the athletes felt what the coaches were trying to get them to feel so often. Um, So they're going to implement those into their training plan. They're going to get the athletes uh, moving in that way so that they can feel what the coaches want them to feel thereafter in the sessions. It's specific prep as well as being a warm up. Um, it's switching on the athlete mentally as well as physically. So you're finding the movement pattern so that the body is more likely to find that movement pattern in the session afterwards. Um, it's like doing a few hip lock drills before you go into sprinting. It's like doing some of those wall projection drills before you go into acceleration. It's like doing a resisted acceleration with a band or with a harness before going into an actual acceleration. That's a bit of a tongue twister, that one. And hopefully by getting the athletes to feel that, then they can actually in their head think, okay, I know where I have to go and the position that I have to find here. It's kind of like doing a wall drill before your acceleration um, as well. Finding those positions and then going to try to find those positions when you're actually running. Uh, So that was interesting from that encounter. And yeah, it 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 was a valuable experience going up there and seeing that and knowing that the grass is not always greener for sure so yes that is what i was coming on to talk about today in short and it was yeah a valuable experience and i hopefully that some of my thoughts and putting this together for you guys will help you guys to organize what you're looking at and i also then wanted to go through a little bit of what do i look for in order to identify who is an over-rotator and who is an under-rotator. And that's been something that I've been putting together as part of module one, as I said, in the mentorship virtual course that I'm putting together. And look, the first thing I look for, and it's probably hasn't changed for like a number of years since I started coaching speed back in my early days as an SNC was I used to look for stride length and stride frequency um, because obviously that's what you're taught in sports science immediately is your sprint speed and how far you go is made up of your stride length and your stride frequency. So how you get better is by either increasing your stride length while keeping the same frequency or cadence or keeping the same length, stride length that you have and then increasing your frequency. But I've figured out that that's not exactly the case. I probably figured that out through Speedworks that you can overstride. Um, and when you overstride, I suppose your frequency then uh, takes a hit, as well as the position that you're in being a little bit suboptimal because you're not making use of the length tension relationship 
in regards to muscles so there might be a little bit more slack in muscles a little bit more stretch as i spoke about earlier in relation to your hamstring and your quad or your rec fem is what i was talking about um and as a result of that you might be slower and you might be putting yourself at an increased risk of injury what am i looking at then in relation to your stride length and your stride frequency i'm looking at front side versus backside mechanics one is not better than the other too much front side you're just going up and down like an under rotator you're not really going anywhere too much backside and you've lots of braking force and you're just essentially falling over but both are useful in different scenarios and you need to be able to transition between the two when you're playing team sports because you need a bit more front side when you're getting up to max velocity and you're accelerating however you need a little bit of backside if you're going to slow down and decelerate you need to be able to find those positions but you don't want to be just in real backside positions because you're not optimizing how much you're going forward your pelvis is just dumped behind you and you're kicking up behind rather than having that uh, recoil or uh, that swing leg coming through really fast like a bullet like switching through um, you're not having that piston type action and you're not making use of the cross extensor reflex in order to accelerate your limb down towards the floor and create that negative foot speed to project or transmit force into the floor to project yourself forward what am I looking for then to identify whether they're an over rotator or an under rotator I'm looking at their touchdown so where they contact um, the floor when they are taking a, their step so their initial touchdown when they touch down where is the swing limb if the swing limb is behind then i can i know that they're striking early and they're probably a bit of an over rotator if it's in front i know that they've exchanged well um however they their timing is either balanced and really really good or their timing is um maybe a little bit late so they're creating big vertical force and they're popping up into the air and they're being real air based but they're not getting back down to the floor quickly enough and that's maybe not as advantageous as it should be when you're accelerating because as i spoke about earlier acceleration is a more ground-based um activity than is max velocity running then i'm looking at hips and the pelvis orientation so, so as i said if they're touching down early their hips are generally going to be behind them um, if they're touching down late then they might be more stacked and the hips will be underneath their chest and their ribcage um, and over um, their foot and I'm also looking at the orientation so are they neutral or posted they're definitely not going to be posterior tilted at the pelvis are they anterior tilted though are their hips behind them and their ribs up and that's how i'm telling that probably by how their torso is positioned and then the next thing i look at is the shin and the torso angles so are their shin angles matching up with their torso angles during acceleration we want a deep shin angle we want our shin and our torso facing in the direction that we're going we don't want one being really vertical like the shin and then the torso being more leaned over that's a sure sign that they're over rotating that's a sure sign that they're stopping themselves from falling over by planting the leg down um and striking early and that is the type of athlete that i see run into a lot of uh, calf issues calf strains and i've spoke about it uh, previously on david's podcast about getting somebody back from a calf strain a repetitive calf strain by just focusing on applying force backward and 
acting backward with that uh, switch rather than acting straight down and also shortening the stride length rather than lengthening it uh, keep your frequency because your frequency is a great of great utility for you but let's shorten your stride length a little bit and try and get those hips up a little bit more um then I look at toe off then is the next thing and I'm looking at their thigh block and uh, their hip separation so how much distance is between their hips so their thigh block is going to be when one leg is at toe off the one behind and then hopefully one leg is up nice and stacked and that's nice and stacked is not the right way of putting it the swing leg is out in front of them however they have a more vertical or positive shin angle at that swing leg rather than what i spoke about earlier which is that negative shin angle so if they're more vertical or positive at that shin angle it shows that the action is coming from the stance leg and they're pushing uh into the floor and using that glute max um, for hip extension and the glute med as well to tilt the pelvis up they might be finding a better hip lock whereas if that swing leg has a negative shin angle it's a sure sign that they're swinging the leg out in front and using momentum to get them forward i see that in a lot of athletes not a lot some athletes uh alan has said he sees that in loads of props because they have so much mass they're trying to use the most efficient way to get themselves forward and make use of their mass by just swinging themselves forward um, but it's not essentially the most effective strategy uh for whacking the ground back or attacking back and projecting themselves forward um i'm looking at their hip and pelvic orientation at that toe off as well and i'm looking at the stance leg like are they actually finishing their push on the stance leg or are they trying to get off the ground too early um as a more reactive under rotating at athlete may try to do to make use of the reactivity and make use of the efficiency and the strength of their tendons and the recoil of their tendons um so maybe they're not pushing into the floor enough maybe they need to actually try to stay on the ground a little bit longer and finish their push push then i'm looking at reactivity is obviously just looking at their ground contact time so their air time versus their um, time on the ground and then i'm looking at their ankle stiffness too so are they toy are they plantar flexed at the ankle are they reaching for the ground to extend their ground contact time so they have more time to push or are they primed and ready in that dorsiflex position at the ankle so that they can make use of the stretch reflex and actually prepare to land and just spring forward um and then I'm obviously looking at their hip lock positions in straight line linear speed as well as in change of direction too to see if they're efficient. I'm looking at more in terms of change of direction but I don't want to get into that today. So there's a small taster of just types of things that I'll be going through in module one. Obviously I'll be going through it in uh, much more detail but that's what I'm thinking and it's helping me to organize what I am looking at and what I am thinking when I am coaching, um, what cues are going to be effective with different athletes and how am I going to help athletes to be more efficient and be more effective and hopefully reduce their risk of injury in time. So look that's all for today off to australia on wednesday i am hopefully you guys do enjoy listening to this while i'm in transit if you do have any questions about anything that i've spoken about feel free to reach out i'm always willing to have a conversation as i said i've been jumping on lots of calls with coaches over the last 
couple of weeks so i'm willing to do that even more as i land in australia or if there's anybody in australia listening to this i would be even open to meeting up and doing a bit of coaching together or shadowing or as i've been chatting to graham morris maybe gravity gravity each other and having a beer together or a coffee together if you're not uh, a drinker but um i hope you've enjoyed it and if you did enjoy it please remember to like it share it and send it <laughs>